Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 181 of the podcast that is Sweeping America. The Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Great show today. So much to get into. Listen, two things. One thing. Three things. I don't know how many things, but here's the thing. A lot of things going on to lead this show. I promised you that when there was actual basketball to talk, I will talk college basketball. I think I'm going to slowly try to phase basketball in here over these next couple weeks as we get closer to the season. We finally have a topic today, college basketball related as Kentucky got a commitment from what I believe to be one of the two to three best high school basketball players in America. His name is Terrence Clark. He was originally a part of the 2021 high school class. He has reclassified to 2020. He's going to Kentucky. I am going to talk about that today. So as promised, college hoops, college football. Uh, There's been a lot of football on this show, but I told you, when we got basketball to talk about, we would. So Terrence Clark later in the show, I'm going to lead with college football. A couple things caught my eye this week. Uh, One, I think that the absolute best teams in the sport have already started to separate themselves. Last week, I talked about the possibility that Clemson may have unofficially already basically clinched a college football playoff berth. And I think that when you look at college football this year, Uh, We spent so much time in the preseason. Nick Coffey and I talked about it a couple times. Alabama and Clemson, can anybody catch them? Well, I think this year we can. And so I'm going to talk about those top six, seven teams where I think that there is a cut above the rest everywhere else in college football. I will talk about the one game yesterday in the top 10 that was actually pretty close, which was Florida-Kentucky. Such a disappointing loss for the University of Kentucky. I thought they completely outplayed florida All game long, obviously for people who saw the game, you know, Florida's uh, starting quarterback goes down in an unfortunate situation, Felipe Franks, their backup comes in, and all of a sudden Florida goes on to win a game that basically Kentucky was the better team for three plus quarters. We're going to get into that one, what it means for Kentucky going forward. Is Florida actually a legitimate top 10 team? Secret? They're not. We'll get into that. We will get into Terrence Clark. Maybe even talk a little Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer had some really interesting comments last week, lead me to believe that maybe, just maybe, he's back on a college football sideline here in the coming weeks. I know if you follow me on Twitter, I teased a little Tim Tebow stuff. Probably stay away from that. It's a few days old now as Tim Tebow makes news last week. Before we get into today's show, a couple things. I'm going to give you the usual reminders. I want to throw out something a little bit different before we get into today's show. One... I don't know if there's anybody that listens to this show regularly who lives in Las Vegas, but next Sunday, next Sunday, I will be doing a live version of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast from Las Vegas. For people who have ever been to Las Vegas, there is a great sports bar at the Venetian. It's called Legacy's, and Legacy's actually has a radio studio inside the restaurant. So I will be recording the Aratora Sports Podcast at Legacy's. It'll go out on Monday morning as always. But if you happen to be in Vegas, you're more than welcome to swing by. Hit me up, uh, Aaron Torres, podcastquestions at gmail.com. I will give you directions on how to get there, what time to get there, all that stuff. But live show also can't promise, but I actually think my buddy 
who listens to this show. His name's Ed. Uh, you've heard of him before. We call him the Asian Andre McGee. I've told that story many times. He calls himself that, by the way. That's not my nickname for him. He calls himself that. He is going to be there. We're actually going to record me on video doing the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Put that up on YouTube. So for people who want to check out uh, what I look like when I'm doing this show, which is basically me just standing up ranting and raving and yelling, we'll also put it up on YouTube. But again, if you're going to be in Vegas, hit Legacy's next Sunday, the 22nd. I will be there live doing this show. The show itself will come out on Monday. Also have some stuff up on YouTube. And in addition to that, let's get to the regular announcements. I want to make sure you're subscribed to the Aratora Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is where you should be downloading this show. Do it on TuneIn Radio. You can do it on Podbean. You can do it on Pod Paradise. You can do it on Spotify. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Uh, so many good reviews coming in. I got another one. I mentioned a lot of Kentucky fans listen to this show. How about my buddy, White Boy Rick, who says... Love the pod. You keep it real and just speak your mind. He also then adds, no matter what, BBN loves you because of your book, One and Fun, but you are one of my favorite sportscasts. So thank you, White Boy Rick, for the comment. Again, everybody else, make sure to rate and review the show. It is genuinely appreciated. Uh, shout out to Casey Matthews who did it a few weeks ago. Shout out to Mark Kinnett, all my people that are uh, rating and reviewing this show. If you have questions that you want answered, we got a few basketball questions. Maybe I'll do them next episode to kind of keep the basketball mojo, basketball vibe going. Um, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And then, of course, if you want to follow on Instagram, all my pics, all my videos, all my previews of guests. And by the way, hate to brag, we got some big guests coming up here in the next couple weeks. Aaron Torres, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. All right, so let's get into what I believe is the big topic in college football right now. That's this. We had no matchups of top 25 teams on Saturday. And so as I said on the last show, you know, some of those times are when you get the crazy big upsets. But this particular week, it was a relatively quiet week. Uh, the only ranked teams that actually did lose were Michigan State, which lost 10-7 at home to Arizona State. By the way, if you didn't see that game, kind of a funny ending to that game. Michigan State drives. They've missed two field goals. Down 10-7, line up for the tying field goal. Nail the field goal. 10-10, we're going overtime. Except they had 12 men on the field. Had to re-kick it, end up losing that game. So Michigan lost on Saturday. They were the only uh, ranked team to lose of note. Uh, one other team lost. Who was it? I'm trying to think of who else lost. Um, bad radio here. Bad radio here. I have it in my notes. But somebody else lost. Not very good. So we're not going to talk about the teams that lost because there was no. there's no real games to recap, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and, oh, Alabama, they won 47-23, to and let's talk about their third down defense. Like, you, you, if you guys listen to this show, you know that's not what it's about. And so instead what we're going to talk about is what I think is the prevailing story that came out of this week's episode, this week's weekend, this week's weekend. Yeah, that's what happens at the end of every week is a weekend. But what came out of this week, I think the big story is this, is that as I said to start the show, we spent so much time in college football talking about Clemson and Bama to open the year. Clemson and Bama. Can anybody catch Clemson and Bama? Is, is it an inevitability that we get Clemson, Bama, part whatever it is, five. I think it's been four years in a row that they've played in the playoff. Is it an inevitability that we get Clemson-Bama for the championship next year? And a lot of people thought that, you know, I, I never really totally bought that it was inevitable. I did think they were the two best teams on paper coming into college football this season. The two teams with the fewest questions, obviously Ohio State had questions with a first-year head coach. Oklahoma had questions on defense. LSU had questions because they haven't really been a national championship contender basically in a decade, um, you know, and you go across everybody else. Florida had offensive line questions, et cetera, et cetera. So the point is, is that I thought they were the two best teams. I never thought it was an inevitability because the one thing that I've learned in sports is that whenever you think something is inevitable, something crazy happens, right? Like we thought the Warriors, when they signed Kevin Durant, it was, oh, you know, 
it's over. Next 10 years, they're going to win every championship. Well, they won two, they lost one, and now Kevin Durant's gone. LeBron signs with uh, the Miami Heat. Oh, him and D-Way, they're going to win the next five championships. They went two and two in the NBA Finals, and it happens in every sport, right? College basketball. Oh, Zion, RJ, how are they ever going to lose? Well, they lost to Michigan State. Michigan State was better that day. So I never bought that it was an inevitability, but I did think they were the two best teams. But what I think has emerged over the course of college football through three weeks is this, is that I think we are now in a position where we have a chance for a very special season because I think that the top six or so teams in college football are a cut above everybody else, and they're all really, really, really good. And look, it's early. Not everybody has played real competition. We're going to learn a lot more about some of these teams. Georgia plays Notre Dame this week. Oklahoma's toughest games are ahead. Ohio State's toughest games are ahead. But the top six teams in college football, I think, have separated themselves. I think all six can win the national championship, whereas coming into the season, I really thought it was really only Bama or Clemson. Now I think it's the top six. And that top six, uh, not going to surprise anybody, but Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, and LSU. And I think that's the big story that came out of this weekend. We keep waiting for one of these teams to look bad, and they just keep dominating, right? Like, think about it. Think about Ohio State. Ohio State came into this season, and I was one of the ones that was skeptical. I was one that said, I don't know, I think Michigan can win the Big Ten, or maybe Michigan State, or I don't know who, but I don't think Ohio State is this juggernaut first-year head coach. Their quarterback, Justin Fields, had never played uh, major college football at a consistent level. He obviously played at Georgia last year, but transferred. He barely played behind Jake Fromm. But you look at Ohio State through three games, they've given up 31 total points through three games. They've absolutely dominated. And again, I know they haven't played the toughest competition, but they smoke Cincinnati. They beat them 42 to nothing. And then yesterday, or Saturday, excuse me, they play Indiana, on the road, Big Ten opener, you think, okay, they're going on the road in conference. This could be tough. They end up scoring 51 points by the end of the third quarter. They win 51 to 10. And as I was watching Ohio State, I got to be honest, is that I, I sat there and I said, man, like you look at them, I don't, one, I think they can play with anybody. I think they can play with Clemson. I think they can play with Alabama. But what, are they, what, what don't they do that you need from a national championship contender? They have a really elite quarterback, that guy Justin Fields that I said, uh, I don't know, I mean, he transferred. Uh, yeah, that guy's been awesome so far. I don't know if you guys have been watching Ohio State, but he's completing like right around 70% of his passes this year, a little bit over 70% of his passes. He's averaging nine yards per completion, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. So we're so quick, and I know I mentioned this on last show, I don't do Heisman in September, but we're so quick to talk about Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow. Like, I think Justin Fields is really good. And I look at Ohio State, their defense has given up 31 total points in three games. Their quarterback's really good. They average 7.3 yards per carry. They average over seven yards per carry on Saturday. And you look at the rest of the Big Ten, Penn State didn't look that good. They barely beat Pitt. That was another disaster by Pitt, by the way. Michigan State has already lost a the game. They can't score points. Michigan looks like a mess. Wisconsin could be good, but they play Wisconsin at home. And come on, is Wisconsin really beating Ohio State? I don't think so. And so I look at Ohio State. I say, man, that's a team that I feel like could hang with Bama, could hang with Clemson. Oklahoma, third straight dominant win. We watched them Labor Day weekend against Houston absolutely dominate. Jalen Hurts, next great Oklahoma quarterback in this Lincoln-Riley system. Well, they go on the road Saturday at UCLA. UCLA's terrible, as we've talked about on this show over the last couple weeks, and they do it again. They up and down the field, up and down the field, up and down the field. They got 34 points at halftime. Could have been more. Let their foot off the gas. They won 48-14. to And the thing with Oklahoma that I've noticed, and it's early, We'll find out when they play Oklahoma State and when they play Texas and these teams that can really score. But that defense looks really good. And that's been the thing with Oklahoma the last couple years, right? Is that Oklahoma, two years ago in the college football playoff, they had Georgia beat. 
Lincoln Riley got a little conservative with the play calling, which, by the way, we're going to talk about conservative play calling later on with the Florida-Kentucky game. But Lincoln Riley gets a little bit conservative. They end up losing that game. Last year, I thought they actually played Bama tough. Bama jumped out to a big early lead, and over the last three, three or so quarters, they played Bama tough in the playoff. But the thing with Oklahoma was always, could they have even a decent defense? Because if they could have a decent defense to go along with that offense, I think they could compete with anybody. And this year, I think they have a decent defense. And I think they're in the mix. I think LSU, after what we saw at Texas, is in the mix. LSU is moving the ball up and down the field like they're freaking Oklahoma State or Texas Tech or something. I mean, it is insane to me that we live in a world where after three games, so we're now a quarter of the way through the season, and it's going to get tougher. We get that. LSU's averaging 550 yards per game. And oh, by the way, in terms of scoring, they're third in the country in scoring. They're averaging 55 points a game. Are you kidding me? 45 on the road at Texas. And so LSU always plays great defense. They've always had skill position, guys. Now they move the ball on offense. You mean to tell me that they can't compete with Bama? that they can't compete with Georgia in an SEC championship game. And I laid out the path for LSU, by the way. You look at their schedule, it's actually very manageable going forward. They get Auburn at home. They get Florida, who doesn't look very good, at home. They get A&M at home. And so I think there's a scenario, and we talked about it last week, even if they don't beat Bama, if they go 11-1 and with a win at Texas, with wins over Texas A&M and Auburn and Florida, like that's going to be a pretty tough resume to leave out of the college football playoff. Georgia, look, we're going to learn a lot about Georgia this week. Georgia's another team, 500 yards of total offense every week. That offensive line is insane. That offensive line averages like 320 pounds per guy, and they just absolutely maul people. Put up 55 against Arkansas State the other day, put up 63 against Murray State, and again, like all these other teams, we're going to learn a lot about them. They play Notre Dame this weekend. They have South Carolina, which didn't look terrible. They got Kentucky still on the schedule. They got Florida. They got Missouri. But I don't know. Georgia looks pretty good to me, too. And maybe this is finally the year that they take down Bama. So you got those four teams on top of Bama and Clemson. And look, Clemson, by the way, is phenomenal. They just went on the road and crushed Syracuse in a really tough environment at the Carrier Dome. 41-6. to Syracuse going to do anything. Syracuse could not move the ball. Bama, 24-point road win at South Carolina. And it's crazy because I'll tell you this. I was thinking about this as I was watching the games. I actually think you can make a legitimate case with the way those other teams are playing. I think it's really realistic that Ohio State is undefeated going into the playoff. I really think it's realistic Oklahoma's undefeated. I think this could be a year. We spend so much time talking about Bama and Clemson in the preseason. I think this could be the year if one of those teams gets tripped up, not only can they be beaten, I think they might not even make the playoff. It's funny, I do my radio show every Saturday, and we we have you know guests on, but, but myself and Arnie Spanier talking. By the way, speaking of guests and people to talk with. I will get Nick Coffey back on the show, by the way, at some point. A lot of you guys have been asking for him, um, you know, with his schedule, doing the morning show, and then he travels for the Louisville games. I would love to have him back, because I think, obviously, it would make it fun to just have somebody to talk back and forth with, so he will be back momentarily. Uh, And when I say momentarily, I don't mean this episode. I just mean down the road. But back to Clemson and Bama, I will say this. I don't think it's this home run grand slam, no doubt about it, that those two teams are in the playoff. Now, I said last week, I think Clemson already clinched a playoff berth, and I do believe that because if you look at the schedule, the two toughest games on paper coming into the year, they've already played. A&M last week at Clemson, and then Syracuse this week on the road. You look at the rest of their schedule, every single team that they play going forward already has a loss on their schedule. Play UNC, which lost this weekend. Florida State, which is terrible. Louisville, terrible. Boston College got smoked by Kansas this week. And as a matter of fact, I was thinking about this this week with Clemson. I think Clemson is in a position 
I think they will go undefeated, but it's not a certainty because Trevor Lawrence, by the way, has not been playing well. Don't know if you guys have been watching, but this guy last year was a monster. He only threw five picks in like 400 passing attempts. This year, less than 100 passing attempts, he's already got five picks. I don't know if the pressure's getting to him, not not the literal pressure of a defense, but the metaphorical pressure of, of trying to live up to the hype of being this unbelievable quarterback prospect. I don't know what it is, but he's not that same guy. And I'll say this for Clemson. You look at their schedule. If they lose a game, it is going to be really hard for them to justify getting into the playoff over, say, a Georgia or an LSU. I mean, imagine if LSU's only loss is to Bama and Bama goes undefeated. LSU would have wins at Texas, Texas A&M, who Clemson also beat, Florida at Auburn, on and on and on and on and on. And so I think Clemson, Clemson is almost in the impossible position of they have to win every game because I'm telling you, that schedule is so bad, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it would be the worst schedule of basically anybody that's ever made the playoff in this five, this is now the sixth year of the playoff era. By the end of the season, there's a realistic chance that a team like Central Florida, who just beat Stanford, is going to have a more impressive resume than Clemson. And so Clemson better not get tripped up. I think they could miss the playoff, which is insane. And I'll say this with Bama. We spent so much time gassing up Bama, talking about how great they are. And listen, I'm guilty of it too. But if you watch that game against South Carolina, I think Bama is more susceptible on defense than they've basically ever been. It's crazy, right? They have this offensive revolution. Tua comes in. Tua basically completes 70% of his passes. They got all these running backs, all these wide receivers. But that defense against South Carolina, and I know it was on the road, and I know road games are tough, but by the way, Ohio State went on the road, dominated. Clemson went on the road, dominated. Bama went on the road against a true freshman quarterback and gave almost 500 yards of total offense, almost 350 yards of passing. And they looked more susceptible than they ever have. And I will say this about Bama in a way that I don't feel it about Oklahoma, I don't feel it about Clemson. They obviously have a much tougher path. They have to go to A&M. They have to play LSU. They have to play at Auburn, who I know Auburn is not great this year, but they're good. They're decent. And so I'm telling you this right now. If Bama doesn't get that defense figured out, I think there is a very realistic chance that for the first time in the college football playoff era, there have been five college football playoffs. Bama has played in all five. I'll make this prediction right now. I'm not going to put my foot down and say definitively that Bama doesn't make the playoff here on September 16th. We got two and a half months till we figure out who's in the playoff. I think it's realistic, though. I really do because of the fact that that defense really did struggle on Saturday. But in the bigger picture, that is kind of my big takeaway, is that this college football season, I think more than any in recent history, this isn't a one or two team race. This is five, six teams. I really believe all six of those teams could make the playoff and win it. Now, I think there's other teams that could make the playoff. I think Texas could make the playoff. I think Utah and the Pac-12 could make the playoff. I don't think they can win it, though. I do think Ohio State can win it. I do think Clemson can win it. I do think Bama, LSU, Georgia, and Oklahoma all can win it. I think the top of college football is in a place that it hasn't been in recent years where there are five or six teams that can legitimately compete. One team that can't compete. And when I say can't, I mean cannot, in case that didn't come out clearly, is the Florida Gators. So that was one of the craziest games of Saturday. We have a ton of Kentucky fans that listen to this show, and I would be remiss if I did not talk about Kentucky's game against Florida at Kroger Field Saturday night. Florida wins 29-21. to But if you watch that game, there is one thing that is unmistakable. Kentucky was the better team. Kentucky was the more physical team. Kentucky got better play from their quarterback early, their backup quarterback, Sawyer Smith, making his first start at Kentucky. They were able to move the ball. They were running the ball. They were physical. They had a couple turnovers, and they ended up losing this game. We're going to get into how it happened 
But I want to say this. I'm a sports fan. We're all sports fans. I'm not a Kentucky fan, but I can tell you as someone who is a sports fan, I have my own teams. There is nothing more sickening than being the better team on the field in a big game. And this is a big game. Now, I don't think either team's beaten Georgia to go to the SEC championship. But I mean, this could be the difference between competing for a division title or not. And when you're the better team in a bigger game, and it's a big rivalry game. And for years, Kentucky has been uh, knocking on the door of Florida. And for years, it was ugly, and Florida would dominate. Last couple of years, it's been closer. Of course, Kentucky wins at the Swamp last year, and everybody's saying, yeah, well, you know, Florida struggled, first-year head coach. They finished strong. And now Kentucky had a chance to prove it was no fluke. They're up 21-10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter, and they lose the game. So I feel terrible for Kentucky fans. Um, but it's also sort of a... I don't want to say it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, but with the way that I thought the Kentucky coaching staff coached down the stretch, it almost was an inevitability. And let me explain. For people who watched the game, and I think most of you listening did, uh, and the only reason, by the way, I'm talking about this game more than any other is because Florida was the only top 10 team that came close to losing on Saturday. But if you watch the game, like I said, Kentucky completely dominated early in the game. They were up, I think, what, 14-7 at halftime, but it really was, wasn't even that close. Um, and like I said, they were up 21-10 going into the fourth quarter. And right before the fourth quarter, basically the turning point of the game, ironically, in the worst way possible happened, which was that Florida starting quarterback Felipe Franks ended up getting hurt. Very serious injury, obviously a bummer. Nobody's wishing ill will on anybody but Felipe Franks goes down, and you think, okay, well, Kentucky's in the driver's seat now. They're up 21-10. to 10. Florida's starting quarterback goes down, and instead the opposite happened. Instead, this is what happened. There were two turning points after that. Really, Felipe Franks was the first one, and the second one came right after Felipe Franks went down, heading into the fourth quarter. Kentucky gets the ball back. And again, at this point, they're up 21-10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. They have the ball. They're driving the ball. They're into Florida territory. It gets to fourth down, fourth and one. And Mark Stoops, I think to his credit, now I'm not going to criticize him for being aggressive here. I'll criticize him and his staff in a minute. But to his credit, he decides... This is it. This is the kill shot. They got their backup quarterback in here. If we can bleed, if we can get this first down and bleed this clock, and if we can score, they ain't coming back from this. And so what does he do? Goes for fourth down, and Kentucky doesn't get it. For basically the first time all night, um, the offensive line is not physically manhandling Florida's front because that's basically what Kentucky's offensive line did for most of the night. Kentucky does not get the first down. Florida with a backup quarterback. And keep in mind, by the way, both teams had a backup quarterback. What was incredible was both backup quarterbacks looked phenomenal. Sawyer Smith from Kentucky, I was so impressed with this kid. I think he started the game nine for nine, but this kid looked poised. He was comfortable in the pocket. He wasn't intimidated. He wasn't overwhelmed by the moment. And I do know that he, of course, played games when he was at Troy at his last stop. He played in some big games. I believe he played at Clemson. But he looked so confident, so in his ability to lead the team, to uh, rally the team, whatever you want to say. But then credit to Florida. Because their backup quarterback, Kyle Trask, when Felipe Franks went down, Kyle Trask, as soon as Kentucky does not convert that fourth down, Kyle Trask leads them right down the field, scores a touchdown, makes it 21-17. to And credit to Florida. Because their quarterback, backup quarterback, came in right off the bench and was totally confident and was a lot like Sawyer Smith and that he wasn't afraid of the moment. He wasn't intimidated. He wasn't overwhelmed. But I will also say this, and this is not to take away from Florida and the win, but it is reality. I was a little unimpressed with Mark Stoops and his coaching staff down the stretch in how they called the game. And if you guys listen to this show you know that in general, I'm not the guy that picks apart, well, on third, and I said this off the top, but 
well, on third and one, they put the tight end in motion. And Like, I don't do that. Like, that's not who I am. If you want that, go somewhere else. Uh, you know, there are a lot of good places to break down X's and O's. But if you watch this game, you know that when Kentucky did get that lead, I don't know if it was the coaching staff getting overwhelmed by the moment. I don't know if they knew they had a backup quarterback. I don't know if they felt like Florida was getting hot. But for whatever reason, I thought both sides – Offense and defense, the coaching staffs tightened up late in that game. And if you saw it, it was just like, I don't know. Um, uh, you know, Kentucky all of a sudden, I don't want to say that they ever play like this super fast, like no huddle, like Oregon, old school Oregon tempo. But all of a sudden, they're walking up to the line of scrimmage. They're letting the play clock run down. Sawyer Smith is getting everybody up, then he's backing off the line, then he's walking back up, and it just felt like all the momentum was gone. And then on defense, again, I'm not claiming that I know every single little nuance of the defense, but it was clear that they took the pressure off of Florida and they let this kid um, do what he had to do in the pocket. And so we all know what it resulted from from there, which was, of course, Florida eventually rallying. They score the go-ahead touchdown. Of course, Kentucky misses a field goal. Florida scores again, they end up winning by eight, but I would say this, not only was the score not reflective of how close the game was, it's not reflective of the fact that Kentucky was actually the better team during the game and ended up losing the game. And so again, I don't mean to belabor the point, and I'm not here to tear down Mark Stoops, I think he's done an unbelievable job, probably nationally doesn't get enough credit for what he's done there, 10 wins at Kentucky, unbelievable season last year, I think they're in good shape going forward this year. But I didn't think it was his best performance as head coach. I didn't think it was his best moment when they had the opportunity. And, and again, I don't blame him for being aggressive going for it on fourth down. But I thought after that, not nearly aggressive enough on offense, not nearly aggressive enough on defense. Now, I will say this going forward. I do think it was a positive sign for Kentucky because of the way that they physically dominated this game. They were better in the trenches, and that was an incredible thing to me. Somebody who's watched college football forever to see Kentucky just the physically more impressive team on the offensive line, on the defensive line. Florida's defensive line, which dominated Miami early in the season, really didn't get any pressure on Sawyer Smith. Kentucky was basically able to run the football pretty successfully throughout the game. 140 yards of total rushing for Kentucky. And so I will say for Kentucky, when I look at the schedule, I'm not saying that I predict it, but you look at who they have left on the schedule – and I really think basically anybody but Georgia, um, they can beat. And they play Georgia at home. But you start looking at the rest of the schedule, they can beat Tennessee. They can beat uh, Mississippi State, who they play this weekend. They can certainly beat Arkansas, who did look better this weekend. They can beat Missouri. They can beat Vandy, et cetera. So if you're a Kentucky fan, you try to put it past you. You, you hope that, as the old saying goes, one loss doesn't turn into two this weekend at Mississippi State. And then on the flip side, Florida, I think of every team in college football, I don't think there's any doubt that they are the team not worthy of their ranking. You look at everybody else, it's justified. Ohio State, Oklahoma, we talked about them. I think even Notre Dame, they've done, they deserve to be where they are. Texas deserves to be where they are. Oregon, Utah, whoever. But Florida, did that look like a top 10 team to you? It didn't to me. Their schedule gets much tougher. They do have Tennessee this weekend. I think they survived Tennessee, but they got Auburn at LSU at South Carolina all before the end of October. I think they're going to struggle going forward. All right. Do want to quick hit really quickly on Urban Meyer. And last episode, I did talk about the fact that USC fired its athletic director. And I talked about it in the context of this, is that I think that was USC saying, oh, by the way, we expect to make a coaching change in football. And so the boosters, USC as a new school president, they were basically circling the wagons to get ready for November and December when they're potentially hiring a new head football coach. And the timing was a little bit weird because USC was coming off a dominant win over Stanford, 
But two things happened this week that made us realize that maybe that win was a little bit fluky. One, Stanford got smoked by UCF, so we realized maybe Stanford's not that good, and USC lost at BYU to fall to 2-1. and one. And when you look at USC's schedule going forward, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. USC actually has probably, I would argue, the hardest opening stretch of anyone in college football. Remember, they've already played Stanford. They've already played at BYU. Here are their next four game, next three games. Excuse me. They have Utah, who's ranked number 10 in the country, at home this weekend, Friday night. So if you've got nothing to do Friday night, they'll actually be good football on. Then they play at Washington, by week at Notre Dame. And so USC's already 2-1. and one. I think at absolute, in a, in a pie-in-the-sky, perfect scenario, I don't even think they can go 2-1. and one. I think 1-2 and two with two of those games on the road is much more likely, and I think it's very realistic that they go 0-3. And, and so I bring it up because USC is going to have a head coaching opening. They're going to struggle. The administration has hired a new president. They're in the process of hiring a new athletic director. And I think the timing of all this is very interesting for this reason. Urban Meyer came out with a very interesting, very interesting interview late last week. For people who haven't seen it, he was interviewed by Cleveland.com, obviously in Ohio. He still lives in Ohio. He does TV at Fox. And... The interview basically follows him around for a couple days, and he's doing all these. If, if you read the article, what I got, got, what I kind of got out of it, is that he's basically doing anything he can to fill the void of coaching in his life, and he's coaching this leadership class, and he's speaking to all these students, and basically it's like I'm doing anything I can to make sure that I don't have 10, 15, 20 free minutes because I'm going to lose my mind. But here in this article is the money quote. There's a few money quotes, but here is one of them. This is, again, Cleveland.com. And he says, he's asked about, you know, what if he's enjoying all his free time and and all that stuff, and if he's enjoying the, the next chapter of his life. And here is what he says about it. He says, the morning is the hardest part of the day. You're not in a fight. I've been in a fight for 33 years, and now you're not in that fight. How do you fulfill that fight? And I feel that every morning, every single morning, it's all about wins and losses for 33 years. This is again, Urban Meyer talking. It's all about wins and losses. I mean, every day it was. Not just when you're getting ready for a game. No, no, no. You're recruiting every day. You're going against Alabama and Clemson every day. The team up north, which is of course Michigan, every day. Now you're not. That is the number one void, is you're not in a fight. And so you listen to Urban Meyer, and I encourage you, Google this article, find this article, because he sounds like a lost puppy just trying to find his way. And I get it. Retirement's hard for everybody. I'm sure we have some people who listen to this show who are retired. But this does not sound like a man, in my eyes, who is enjoying coaching very much. Now, I understand he's had the physical ailments, and he has the cyst in his brain, and, and all those things. But I've always said this about Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is 55 years old. Just as a contextual thing, Nick Saban, kind of the contemporary of his, 67 years old, and he's still going strong. Nick Saban, 67 years old, 12 years older than Urban Meyer, is still going strong. And so I've never believed that Urban Meyer, at 55 years old, is just going to walk away from football and never come back. Remember, even John Gruden came back. John Gruden was the highest paid employee at ESPN. He was making like $10 million a year, and he came back to coaching. Um, You go on and on. Mac Brown was gone for a while, just came back. Les Miles was gone for a while, just came back. Urban Meyer is 55 years old. He's probably got another 30 years on this planet. And I just can't believe that that guy who is that competitive, who literally said in an article... The morning is the hardest part of the day. You're not in a fight. I've been in a fight for 33 years. I used to battle every single day, not just on Saturdays. I used to battle when we played on Saturday, and then I would battle the next day against Alabama and Clemson and Michigan in recruiting. And so to me, 
it says that at some point soon, I really think Urban Meyer is going to come back. Obviously, USC makes the most sense. I'll tell you this. Everybody crushes the Pac-12. We were talking about this on my, my radio show. Everybody crushes the Pac-12. Pac-12 actually isn't bad right now. Utah's pretty good. Washington's pretty good. Washington State's pretty good. Oregon's pretty good. The, the reason that no one takes the Pac-12 seriously is because the Pac-12 doesn't have that team at the top. They don't have their Oklahoma. They don't have their Ohio State. They don't have their Georgia or Bama. They don't have their Clemson. Like, if you take Clemson out of the ACC, there is no doubt that the ACC is a substantially worse conference in college football than the Pac-12. But Clemson is dominant right now, and so because of it, it covers up how bad the rest of the ACC is. And so I do wonder, if you can just get USC rolling, I'm telling you, man, all of a sudden, the Pac-12 looks pretty darn good, but I also think it's the right spot for Urban Meyer because the conference is there for the taking. You don't have to go to the SEC and four or five times a year, you're just in a fight for your life like you would be in the SEC. The Big Ten was getting that way when he left with Michigan improved and Penn State improved and Purdue improved who they lost to last year and Wisconsin's tough and Northwestern's tough. You go to the Pac-12, there is a void at the top. Washington, I think, is good, but they have a ceiling on how good they can be. Same with Oregon, same with Utah. And so I'm not predicting USC and Urban Meyer. But what I am saying is, go find this article, UrbanMeyerCleveland.com. I'm telling you, man, that just it doesn't sound like a guy who is happy in retirement, who is content in retirement. It's looking. For, it sounds like a guy who's looking for something to fill the football void, and I'm just not sure what it is. All right. As promised, I do want to wrap. I do want to talk a little bit of basketball to end the show. And I'm going to try, like I said, try to phase in more basketball as time goes on because so many of you know me for basketball and I don't want it to be the kind of thing where I just turn off the basketball thing because I know a lot of you, frankly, don't really like college football the way you do college basketball. And so let's talk a little college basketball because a huge piece for next season happened on Saturday afternoon. And like I told you, when big things happen in basketball, I will talk about them. And this, to me, qualifies as a big thing. Terrence Clark. Terrence Clark was the number four rated player, or number two rated player in the high school class of 2021. So he was going into his junior year. Saturday afternoon, gets to the podium and announces two very important things. One, he has decided to commit to Kentucky. Now, he basically had offers from everybody, but he had only visited Boston College. He's originally from Boston. UCLA was after him. Memphis was after him. Duke was after him. But if you followed his recruitment, it seemed like it was Kentucky was an inevitability. Last week, Penny Hardaway was supposed to go see him. Penny Hardaway cancels the visit. Duke was never really a serious player. There was a little report that came out on Friday that maybe Duke was in a little bit better position than a lot of people thought. But Terrence Ferg- Terrence, I'm going to say Terrence Ferguson. Terrence Clark announces that he's going to Kentucky. Um... Maybe more important than that, though, here's what else he announced, is that he is actually going to reclassify. So the number two player in the high school class of 2021 is now going to be a part of the high school class of 2020. And again, I don't normally talk recruiting on this show, but I do think this is so important for a number of reasons that I'd be remiss not to. And the number one reason is this. Terrence Clark is a really good basketball player. Like, we spend so much time talking about all these high school players. And again, I don't talk a ton of recruiting here, but we talk about all these high school players, and this kid's a McDonald's All-American, this kid's top 30, and how many of them end up actually making a difference? Like, three or four a year in most years. Some years you get a, a special season, like, say, 2017, when you have Lonzo Ball, and you have De'Aaron Fox, and you have Malik Monk, and... You have uh, whoever else was in it. But most years, it's three, four, five guys. Terrence Clark is one of those guys that I believe is a difference maker. And I'll tell you this, and I tweeted this out on Saturday when he committed. I have seen every premier high school player in the country. Again, don't claim to be a recruiting guy, but I go to all the AAU events, certainly the ones that are local here in LA. I've seen every big-time recruit in the country. 
And there were only two guys that when I walked in the gym for the first time and saw them, I said, who is that guy? And said to myself, that guy looks like a future NBA All-Star. Those two players were Cade Cunningham, who is the number two ranked player in the class of 2020, and Terrence Clark. Terrence Clark now is part of the class of 2020. He's reclassifying. He's moving up a year to play college basketball next year, getting his grades in order. And I think he is one of those guys that is a difference maker. Now, does need to work on the jump shot. But every other skill is right there. Can take people off the dribble. He's crazy athletic. I, 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 tweet, I, I wrote this at uh, Kentucky Sports Radio this week, but... I saw him at the Pangos All-American camp earlier this summer. This guy, during a game, now it was on a fast break, nobody was near him, but during a game, did a dunk where he put the ball between his legs. That is how athletic this kid is. He's a crazy competitor. What I loved about when I talked to him, he was one of the few players from the class of 2021 at this event. It was mostly the top high school players in the class of 2020, so guys going into their senior year, and he was as good as any of them, And he was fearless. And I talked to him and he said, look, man, I've been playing against older guys for years. I like that challenge. Maybe at first I was a little intimidated a year ago, two years ago. But now, now I feel like I can play with anybody. And that is the kind of demeanor that he has. That is the kind of attitude that he has. And he has the skill as good as any player in high school basketball. For people who haven't seen him, by the way, I should mention, he's about 6'6", 6'7", probably going to play the two or three in college. Uh, kind of the prototypical wing, right? Like I said, six 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 seven, super athletic. Again, very um, competitive. He plays hard. And shout out to Kentucky. First of all, shout out to Tony Barbie, the assistant coach who got this done. Uh, Tony Barbie's taken a lot of heat over the last couple of years because a lot of people said, oh, you know, Kenny Payne and Joel Justice, those are the guys that are getting the job done on the recruiting trail. What is Tony Barbie doing? Well, Tony Barbie locked in maybe the best player that Kentucky has landed. I wrote this uh, at KSR. I think he is the most obvious, can't-miss NBA prospect that Kentucky, Kentucky, excuse me, has landed since they got De'Aaron Fox in the 2016 uh, recruiting cycle. Obviously, De'Aaron Fox played in 2016-2017. He is that good of an NBA player. He's the first top-five prospect Kentucky has signed since Scalabissier. But I think he's the best, like, like can't miss NBA guy since De'Aaron Fox. And this is huge for Kentucky because Kentucky, look, we all know the narrative. I don't think it's true. But the narrative on Kentucky has been pretty simple. It's like, oh, they, they can't close with the big guys. And it's happened because Duke got Zion Williamson and Duke got Marvin Bagley and Memphis got James Wiseman. Now, like I said, I don't buy that that's necessarily true. I've tweeted this and I've written about it several times. You look at just this past recruiting cycle, all the guys that they were in on that they were this close to getting. If James Wiseman's high school coach doesn't go coach at Memphis, James Wiseman's at Kentucky right now. Um, Jaden McDaniels, Washington or Kentucky, he chooses to stay close to home. Anthony Edwards, it appears as though Kentucky was the second choice. He stays close to home to play for Georgia. Scotty Lewis, Kentucky was the second choice. He chooses Florida. Uh, Kerry Blackshear, Kentucky was maybe the second choice there. Nafali Dante, Kentucky's the second choice there. So Kentucky's been in the mix with all these kids. But for them to land a top five difference-making, can't-miss NBA guy, this is huge. I don't believe that Kentucky was falling off on the recruiting trail. I don't believe that Calipari had lost his mojo. But if there was any doubt, first you get B.J. Boston, who I think is a future lottery-type talent, similar kind of player, big guard, 6'5", 6'6", good off the dribble, can score in the paint, all that stuff. So you add him with Terrence Clark, you got yourself the makings of a very good start to the recruiting class. I should have had Kentucky as two other guys already in the recruiting class. Lance Ware, big guy who also committed last week, big athletic kid, uh, and Cameron Fletcher, another kind of big wing who I'm, I talked about a little bit a few weeks ago. I'll tell you this, I don't think Kentucky's done. They're going to be a factor with a number of other kids. I don't think they get Jalen Green, who's the number three, four, five prospect. I, first of all, if it's just Jalen Green or just Terrence Clark, I actually would take Terrence Clark personally. That's me. Other people would disagree. 
but I don't think they're done. I still think they're going to get that playmaking guard. Uh, you know, they, they obviously look, they're, they're going after Cade Cunningham. I've said it. I've told you this. I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I know I've tweeted it. Cade Cunningham, whose brother plays at, or his brother coaches at Oklahoma State. I have been told by two different people that I trust that it is not a 100% foregone conclusion that Cade Cunningham gets to Oklahoma State, that he is willing to consider other schools. I would still say Oklahoma is the favorite, but I think North Carolina, Kentucky are two teams that he's very seriously considering. Devin Askew, the high school class of 2021 point guard, who many people think will reclassify himself. I think Kentucky is still in very good shape for that kid. And so I bring it up because I don't think Kentucky's done. They're obviously going to want another big guy or two because they could lose their entire front court. They're going to want a lead guard, whether it is Cade Cunningham, whether it is Devin Askew from California, not far from where I live. But I'll tell you this. This was a great day for Kentucky basketball. Terrence Clark, big time, difference maker, X factor. I think he's the most can't-miss NBA player since De'Aaron Fox. Obviously, first top five recruit they've signed since Scalabissier. Huge for Kentucky, and I'm telling you, this kid is going to be a star. Him and B.J. Boston are both insanely talented. Terrence Clark, what a difference. All right. Whew. I'm tired, man. I just hit the 50-minute mark on this bad boy. 5-0, that's what I give to you. So for those of you who have listened to the end, for those of you who tuned in just for Terrence Clark, for those of you who tuned in just for football, I want to thank you for subscribing to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Remember, you can download on iTunes, Podcast Addict if you have an Android, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, Spotify. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Thank you to all of you who have already done it. Make sure you're following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Like I said, I'll be in Vegas Sunday. Hit me up if you want information. And shout out to my go- my guy, Torrent Craig. I am exhausted. I am done. I will be back later this week with another edition of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.